in the mouth of madness, what I was saying before was Sam Neill has had an interesting career because he seems like a very like thespian actor who always delivers a quality performance. And yet his career is kind of confined to obscure horror movies where he plays Damien in The Omen Part 3. He's in the movie Possession. He's in that. He's very good in that, too. And then we have this one, which is subject to a number of memes on the Internet. And that's really what's remembered of it in the mouth of yeah. madness. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen this film. But what, what was your general perception of this movie it's um uh, messy it's uh yeah. i mean his performance should be what drives the movie but it starts good i think the the setup it's okay i think the story the way that it starts is interesting but then it just falls into like its own Thing. like uh, he goes crazy and then the story becomes too convoluted for you to for me to care personally so it it had me for like 20 minutes and then yeah i just lost me completely i'm not right it, it does it, it it's sloppy it's it's not as coherent i think as many of his earlier films and i think if carpenter made this film when he was 10 years younger uh it would have felt it would have felt more together anyway um it, so it seems like okay we have the big studio flop with memoirs of an invisible man that's followed up with a, a sloppy uh film with new line in the mouth of madness village of the damned is one i probably at least should have watched the trailer to before doing this show i remember watching that movie when i was like six or seven years old uh so it was probably like fresh when it came out and it was on like cable or something. Uh, did you get around to watching this one? Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Well. Um. Again, I we it's, had a, another internet hiccup there. It's um, Christopher Reeve uh, overacting with a with a bunch of children that have white hair. Um. The ending is really bad. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the ending, um, the children are controlling Christopher Reeve with their eyes that change color. And Christopher Reeve overacts horribly because he's supposed to be, like, frozen. Uh, it's like they're controlling his movie. It's, it's not good. It's, it's definitely not... It, right. it, it's like, I can see how, how the visual aspect of the kids could be iconic kind of in a children of the corn type of way but even like it doesn't get to the point of being as good as children of the corn which is not saying much so i guess that's yeah now that's what you can say about that yeah you think about christopher reeve's career right and he did superman 4 in 89 where he's facing nuclear man and i think canon films put that out right at the end of their run and that movie was terrible that was a flop Special effects were atrocious. Then he goes on to do Village of the Damned a few years later. Was was that horseback accident that crippled him the best thing that could have happened to his career? Uh, what happened to his career after the accident? <laughs> or do you mean because he was revered he got, as a great actor because he... Yeah, okay. Yes. 
Yes. It's like he died prematurely. So all of a sudden, Christopher Reeve is remembered as, oh, well, he's, he's this great, great man, great actor. And then he gets reliable work as wheelchair <laughs> for the rest of his... I mean, I think he... There was uh, the Rear Window yeah. remake that I think uh, might have been a television movie, actually, that he became the star of. He took on the Jimmy Stewart role. And then he got work on Smallville in the office oh, did he? as a uh, wheelchair man. I, I'm not yes. very familiar with his career, to be honest, but I, I never thought of him as a good actor. So you might be right. No, me either. You might be right with that. I, I mean, uh, the, the role of Superman requires somebody who is kind of void of personality. Yeah. You need to be like a bland, wholesome looking guy, which is why I think that role is kind of cursed where, uh, you know, you don't see many people go on to have like illustrious acting careers after playing Superman. <laughs> Brandon Routh is another one of those. Henry Cavill might be the closest thing. And that's only because Zack Snyder's Superman had uh, layers to him as opposed to uh, just being vanilla ice cream. Well, that's the thing. It's not just kind of a bland character, but they also don't use the, I don't want to say few because I'm just ignorant. I'm not a Superman comic book fan, but I'm sure he has stories that would be interesting to put on screen where it would show maybe a little bit of more depth to the character other than this is a goofball from Kansas. Oh, no, 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 no. How about Lex Luthor as the bad guy for the sixth time? Yeah. He's got to rob a bank. But he he's, he's the he's got nasty plans. He's got hair now. Oh, wait, not anymore. <laughs> it's a wig. It's yeah. yeah. That's always great. I I love when they do that. When the iconic bald character, they they're changing it up this time. Oh, he's got hair. Except that's every movie with Lex Luthor. Yeah. He has hair. Like even even the spacey one, he has a wig for a portion of the movie. Yeah. Very unfortunate. Um, we already talked about Escape from L.A. I don't want to add anything else to that. Vampires. Now, for me, I, I've seen Vampires a few times, and I remember quite enjoying that film uh, before I even knew it was a John Carpenter movie, even though it's John Carpenter's Vampire. It doesn't feel like a... Uh, maybe that has something to do with the fact that uh, James Woods is the lead. He's got charisma all his own. Yeah, I think your... But you've seen it recently, right? Oh no, you said you've seen it multiple times, because he's. I've seen. Uh, yes, I, I've watched it three or four times. Because his charisma definitely drives the movie. I don't think there's much more, other than his character for the movie. It it felt like a uh, Robert Rodriguez was directing it. It didn't really feel like a John Carpenter yeah. movie at all. It felt very. No, th from, there's nothing about it that does feel distinctly John Carpenter. It's from *Dust Till Dawn* ish. You know, at least it felt like that to me. Yeah. No, I, I think you're completely spot on. Maybe it's the Southwestern Maybe. Uh, setting that gives it that feel. But, um, you know, uh, like I said, is it a good movie? No, it's not a good movie. Is it a good horror movie? I, I would I would argue yes. Okay. Uh, but again, if you lose John Carr, I'm sorry, James Woods as the lead and you don't have that Baldwin brother in there. Oh. Uh, do you have much of a film? Probably not. Also, the main vampire, uh, you know, Marilyn Manson ripoff. Yeah, that's the the third. So that's that's very of the time. It's the third brother, right? The one that never did anything. The the least successful of the three. We've got Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, who who's obviously the biggest. We've got Stephen Baldwin, who's now the wealthiest. 
thanks to just even though he was doing like Celebrity Mole Yucatan and Celebrity Apprentice and Celebrity Fear Factory and Celebrity Big Brother. What did he do? Et cetera, et cetera. Sell weed or something now as a cannabis fucking farm? He 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 groomed Justin Bieber into marrying his his underage daughter. So it was like, oh, let's set up a play date between this wealthy young talent and my daughter. And then they fell in love. And Stephen Baldwin immediately went out of bankruptcy. And he's doing great nowadays. Well, good for him. <laughs> and then the third forgotten. Yes, he played the long game with the, that one. The forgotten Baldwin. What's his name? I don't even know his name. Adam? There, there's, there's, there's two. There's Daniel Baldwin, who I think is in Vampires. And then... There's Billy Baldwin, who was in Too Old to Die Young recently, and he's very good in that 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 reference show. He's creepy. He's he's got uh, he doesn't have the charisma of his brothers, especially Alec. But he's a serviceable actor, and he gets a lot of TV work. Like he was on This Is Us and Parenthood, and I think he has some kind of contract with NBC as far as that goes. Uh, Daniel Baldwin is like the failure okay. of the, the Baldwin family, especially now that Stephen is out of Dutch. He was in that Death Wish ripoff with oh, what's his name? With Nod from uh, Bronson? Guatemala, not Charles Bronson. Yeah. What's it? Give me his name. I uh, it's something. I don't know. I it's like Fonzie or something like that. I don't know, but uh, he's he was in that movie. He picks up a lot of like really degrade work. Okay, uh, he was in. Uh, the reality television program, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Nice. Uh, he was in Celebrity Rehab for a couple of seasons. I think he was on Celebrity Fat Camp on VH1, Fit Club. So he's getting work. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he gets, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, keeping, keeping financially stable for his addiction. He's a working celebrity. And, uh, not, I, I think not too much a working actor, but a working celebrity, I guess. Exactly. He's probably on Cameo.com for like $15. Yeah. He's probably the cheapest Baldwin that <laughs> you can get. It's like the... But I think when we were talking about... I think I've mentioned this before, the Hemsworth brothers. There's one of them that's like short and chubby. <laughs> and it's like you have this yeah. two, six, five Adonis and the, the other one that's not as, as muscular, the other one, but still a good looking guy. And then you have the little short fat one that's just... It's still in Australia. Just... Working at a yeah. bar or something. <laughs> the Skarsgård family is kind of like that as well, where you have uh, the handsome true blood one with the yeah. blonde hair, and he's very fit, and he's about 40 years old now. And then you have Alexander. Uh, is Alexander the one who played Pennywise? Yeah. Or is Alexander the one I was just talking about? Doesn't matter. Then you have the Pennywise one. And then you have like just like the creepy, lanky one who's kind of retarded looking that was in Lords of Chaos. And he doesn't get as much work. So I guess Daniel Baldwin would, would fit that role here. And he is the Baldwin brother that is in this movie. Um, if I recall, he does get bit and he dies in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, he, he, you alluded at the start of, of this podcast that you had a problem with this movie. And then I was like, I kind of like vampires. And you were like, okay, okay, vampires is, is decent. You started to cave on that. What is your genuine feeling for this movie? My genuine feeling for that movie is that if James Woods wasn't in it, it would be completely forgettable. I agree with what you say. I don't think there's much of a story, and, and I don't really like the the way that it was uh, 
it just didn't feel like a Carpenter movie again. Like I just I I thought I was watching a, yeah. a Robert Rodriguez movie. So I yeah that plus the fact that if you didn't have James like I'm I'm trying to picture it with any other actor that wasn't James Wood maybe someone that wasn't as charismatic as him because he's not he's not really a, a like a leading man good looking guy but he has so much charisma in it which is a very John Carpenter character trait. But but then yeah. but then you build this movie around it that doesn't really fit what a John Carpenter universe is usually like. Um but I'm I, Right. Do you think that's because of it being set in the Southwest? Maybe. Maybe because it's Do the, you think that's the, too overwhelming? There's no urban element to it, maybe. Like everything feels very right. desert uh dessert ish. Uh but it just, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I've only seen it once. I just, nothing really grabbed me besides James Wood's performance at times. I, I didn't really, you know, care for much for it by the ending. But I guess compared to his last four movies, it doesn't look that bad. And I guess that's why I'm walking back on it a little bit. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just didn't really do much for me. It it felt it felt like a I think this I, I think it's like a blade spin-off. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that that type of movie was popular at the time, I think specifically because of From Dusk Till Dawn. And it was around that time. It did have two direct to DVD sequels, Vampires Los Mortos, with John Bon Jovi as the star, directed by everybody's favorite, Tommy Lee Wallace. Sure. And Vampires the Turning which is a martial arts vampire film, and you really should Google the cover art to this movie. Uh, it it looks, uh, well, uh, oof. what you would probably expect of a vampire martial arts film that was direct to DVD. Terrible. Um, so, so Vampires is really like the last, what I would consider entertaining movie. The last movie of his you could probably watch that you could sit through from start to finish. In 2001, we get Ghosts of Mars, which was originally conceived as a sequel to Escape from L.A. And Kurt Russell, I guess, even though he pushed hard for that sequel with Escape from L.A., he learned his lesson and said, no thank you. And they filled him in with Ice Cube. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's... It's... um... Whatever you, if you asked anyone from the 90s what the 2000s or the future would be, this is what the vision would be for most people, I think. It, it, fe- it feels very, very, uh, you know, the future is going to be dystopian and, and everything is going to be cold and metal. Uh, and then you yeah. have really bad industrial music for the soundtrack that doesn't, I mean, it. I guess it fits with the aesthetic, but it, it, it also feels like a like a Nine Inch Nails ripoff. You know, like it's trying to be that, but it doesn't really. All, all the music in all the music in horror films sounded like that back yeah. then. Like the, the Resident Evil movie by Paul W S Anderson is another one. Uh, yeah, from like nineteen ninety nine to two thousand one two thousand two, it was all like that jarring music video editing with the like you were saying industrial MTV music. Um, that yes yeah so that i mean that and this is one of the worst examples of that and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel true to john carpenter yeah yeah or at least what we've come to know of john carpenter where you know he he's so 
he's so hands-on with everything and he he doesn't really fall in line with certain pop culture trends or styles or or, or what have you he he really you know, was a trailblazer in his own regard in the 1980s. To see him succumb to this, one of the worst trends in, in horror movies, uh, not good. I think uh, if you put it in... If you put it in context of, uh, you know, a 60-something, 70-year-old um, trying to make a movie about space when they were born in what 1940s uh, when was carpenter born he was born in 48 so yeah he was 60ish when this movie came out so maybe putting it under that lens i don't know of many old old directors that would have a vision of the future in Mars that will be that different from this. At the same time, I think it suffers a lot from when it came out and the um, everything that comes with that. Everything that comes with that, what I mean is the music, the aesthetic, the way that weapons looked, the way that the cinematography looked, the way that it was shot. It's very of the time and it suffers from that, which is something that you don't really seen most of his previous movies but again thinking of him as a 60 something year old uh coming up with a story about things in mars uh, maybe in that context it oh it, oh, oh. He, he was not 60 years old during this time he was hardly 50 was he it's 2001 he was born in 48 so that's no that's like 48 so he would have been 50 in 1998 yeah, so, okay. All right. Well, fuck. Okay, never mind then. Yeah, it's a pile of shit. I was trying to think of like a... So he... he <laughs> I was trying to think of... You're trying to give him a good excuse. Yeah, but... I was like, man, he's old. He's thinking about, you know, demons and Mars or whatever. So it kind of makes sense. But yeah, no, I can't defend it. It's just, it's just, there's nothing that you can defend from it or nothing that you can get out of it to think, you know, this, is, this was a, a worthy way of spending my time. Uh, the performances are really bad. The action is really bad. The special effects and the makeup, it's really terrible. It just looks like people with white faces, but they're all of a sudden in a red He's, planet. He, it, it, yeah, it, it, seems like, it seems like he becomes like hung up on the whole Marilyn Manson yeah. look. Because that, I mean, that, that's kind of the look of the creatures, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's very overdone. It's like, ooh, ooh. This, I mean, popular, spooky, scary. I, enough and then clearly you know he realizes okay this didn't work i'm tired i'm fed up i i I don't have the energy for this anymore i'm not good at it let me take a break and from that that point forward you know 2001 he he does stop making movies after uh you know this film flops and did anybody really miss John Carpenter during that time. I know everybody. I I think there might have been a resurgence of Escape from New York, uh, comic books and whatnot, because mm-hmm. you started to see that happen in the aughts, where all of a sudden you would have like niche comic book properties based off of horror and sci-fi, like Freddy vs. Jason versus Ash. Right. There were tons of Evil Dead comics. There were like that kind of thing became uh, in vogue. So I do recall that 
being a thing, but nobody was really clamoring for more John Carpenter, were they? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so, especially if you look at the movies that he put out in the 90s. Unless you're li- right. living off nostalgia right. from the 80s. Like, there's nothing really in the 90s that would show you that this is someone that should get another shot at it. Especially nine years after he's left. And I don't recall there ever being... Yeah. And I I don't recall there ever being, like, dialogues where it's like, John Carpenter might direct this project. He might do a sequel to They Live or whatever it might be. You know, there was never headlines like that. I think the closest thing was, oh, they're they're remaking Escape from New York. John Carpenter might be involved. And then, obviously, like, that that falls apart. Um, So there doesn't seem to be, like, a craving for anything John Carpenter... Until the tens, right? But even when he makes the ward, when he comes back, and it's like a little mini event within the horror community that he is uh, taking a stab at legitimate features again. Because let me just add, and I almost glossed over this, he does go back to his like television film roots, right? Because he does Masters of Horror during this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And he does like an anti abortion themed episode, which is then released as like a feature on its own direct to DVD. And this is also kind of why uh, we can talk about whether or not TV movies act as legitimate chapters within right. a director's filmography. He does, what is it called? Like anti-life or, or what? There's a specific title to this and it's a very like subject for a horror movie that a 60s liberal would definitely pick. Cigarette burns? Especially during the George W. Bush era. No, 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 no. He, maybe he did multiple. I think he might have done two. But uh, no, that's not what I'm thinking about. What I'm thinking about is uh, there's a woman who needs to get an abortion done. And there's some kind of complication. Pro-life? Pro-life. There we go. That, that's what I'm referring to. He did uh, another one called Cigarette Burn? Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen that one, um, but yeah. So, I mean, Masters of Horror, for anybody who is uninitiated, was a Showtime show, I believe, where uh, like the the iconic horror directors like Wes Craven and I, I hate to even follow up Wes Craven with Nick Garris mm-hmm. or Tom Lee, Tommy, like all, all the regular names, the people who hang out together. John Landis, yeah. America's favorite, John Landis. Uh, would get together and they would do episodes of this show and they would essentially do little horror movies, right? They would be 60 to 90 minutes long and they'd put those out on Showtime. Um, also just reminded me that we glossed over Body Bags, but you hadn't seen that movie. Either, yeah. That was also, I believe, that was direct to cable, I'm fairly certain. And that's a fun movie. So that's all I'll say about that. Check out Body... I mean, Jake does a, a very good episode of his show dissecting cinema i think jerry was the guest for that on body bags i'd recommend anybody who wants to hear an in-depth discussion on that anthology check that episode out uh it is probably aside from vampires the only thing decent to come out of john carpenter during the 90s um did you see either of these masters of horror episodes no I've i've never actually seen an episode of that i remember being very uh aware of it uh because a couple of bands that i used to like at the time did the soundtrack for it but uh i just i've never been curious enough to watch it mostly because the 
the reviews weren't great. Then again, it's horror, so I I guess I wouldn't ex- I shouldn't expect great reviews. But no, I I haven't checked any of the Masters of Horrors episodes. Yeah, I mean, and especially now they're probably specially dated, but I I, I remember them being varying, just like you know Twilight Zone or or Tales from the right. Crypt. Some of them were decent, some of them not so decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't really speak to the quality of John Carpenter's episodes. It's been a while since I've seen the pro-life one. I haven't seen Cigarette Burns. But he was keeping active during the aughts, even after Ghosts of Mars. But it seemed like it was more it was more a favor to the showrunner, who I believe was Mick Garrison. He didn't have anything to do with the writing on Cigarette Burns. That was Drew McWeenie of, I believe, Ain't It Cool News. So I'm sure I'm sure that's a great story. Famous guy, yeah, famous screenwriter. Uh, yeah, Drew McWeeny. McWeeny? You know, because early early internet critics are always, you know, masters of, of cinema and know yeah. what's the best for a story. Uh has he done anything else? I know that guy named his son like Akira or something like that, even though he's a little white. Kid. <laughs> no. Drew McWeeny. Didn't even know of his existence until Or like now. Toshiro. <laughs> Totoro. Something something especially Japanese. Yes. My son. <laughs> something Japanese based on a film. He named his son. So he can just be ridiculed. In addition to having his dad's fat, soft genes, you know. <laughs> um Masters of Horror. John Landis, great man. Uh, the Ward. The Ward stars Amber Heard. And you watched this movie. Yeah. I remember this movie coming out, and I recall the reviews yeah. upon its release. I remember the hype that was around it on websites like uh, Bloody Disgusting or UpcomingHorrorMovies.com, which was probably defunct now. Uh, people were like, John Carpenter's back. Oof. And I watched the trailer, and I was like, this does not look or feel like John Carpenter at all. No, it it feels like you're watching MTV's Scream. You know when something's supposed to be scary, but it's very sanitized and clean and very not scary. Uh, the performances are whatever. It's just a group of girls, and none of them are particularly good. Amber Heard is whatever, just like in everything else. The story is convoluted for no reason. The story is about a, a girl that starts bur- uh, burning a f- uh, barn down and then she gets sent to a mental institution. And then by the end of it, um, we have like this ghost demon thing that kills people. And then by the end of it, it's like, no, no, the ghost demon was part of a multiple personality that this character created. And then nothing is real. And it's oh, just, no. yeah, it's really. Oh, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, so so uh, it's it's really bad. It's it's really it, it's not a John Carpenter movie at all. It doesn't have the music that you expect in a John Carpenter movie. It doesn't have the performance of a lead that's charismatic and drives the movie like a John Carpenter movie. The special effects are really bad. Uh, it's just it you can. It looks like this was a a a gun for hire type. Uh, role that he served in this you can tell he has nothing left though you know like you can you can tell that this is just his name but there's no elements of him i is this is probably when he started focusing more on his music career which is a great choice i think because his music is actually really good (laughs) but 
yeah, there's 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 really nothing about this movie that's worth spending an hour and a half watching. I'm just looking down the credits of it, and you can tell that he probably did this for a page. Even though it's called John Carpenter's The Ward. Yeah. He didn't write it. He didn't do the music. Yeah. He didn't do the editing. He had no involvement. He probably just showed up to set, and somebody else like did most of the direction. Yeah. He was probably just sitting in a chair going, okay, that's good. Next. Cut, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's very unfortunate. Um, it had a budget of $10 million. It only made back $5.3 million. It was a flop, and I don't think that is really to the surprise of anybody. It sounds terrible. Um, I haven't watched this movie. I have no intention of watching this movie out of respect to John Carpenter. And I... <sighs> It, it, it's just unfortunate that this seems to be the real end of his career. That I mean, and, and it's a rarity where you know directors will fall off at some point. This is inevitable with just about everybody. And if they're lucky, they get an opportunity to go back and make one or two more great films, or or pick up where they left off. Like when we're talking about *The Five Bloods*, you know, I know you're not a fan of Spike Lee, but there's a a dramatic shift that comes in the aughts or so in his career where he loses all of his creative juices. He does more for higher types of, of gigs uh, on movies. And then he just winds up in the dumpster and he's working with actors who perform like they've never been on camera before. And then he comes back with Black Klansman when he has a little bit of money and some talent behind him and does like a movie that feels like his old, authentic self again. The Five Bloods feels like a continuation of that, even though it is kind of a mess, and it's all over the place, and it becomes uh, like a pseudo-remake of Wages of Fear midway through. John Carpenter, I think... I, 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 I mean, he's a real old man now. Yeah. But, I mean, he had the fog brain back when he was apparently 40, where he just fell out of step with himself. So I don't think he would be capable of doing that today. I don't think he has one more great film left in him. I think the closest thing we'll get to that is him just doing the music and being a producer, whatever that means, on the David Gordon Green Halloween film. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, do you, do you think there is a possibility that he comes out of retirement and directs one more film that can be above quality of what's been met with the ward for what though like what's his incentive if he really cared that much about his legacy he wouldn't have made half of the movies he'd made in the 90s uh no you're right and i've heard him i've heard him talk about his directing career before i think to brett easton ellis and i don't think he does place value on it compared to say his music career right i think music was always his main thing and he got into directing and was really good at it for a while. But I don't think it's of top priority to him to like steer the ship in the right direction before it's all over for good. Also, he's so, he's, um, he's seen as this icon that, you know, people still go see him play his songs live. So putting himself through everything that has to do from if he, if he even writes it. Uh, from writing the movie, getting everything done, 
when his name hasn't been in anyone's mouth for at least 10 years when the word came out, positive or negatively. Uh, why would he risk this cushy life that he has making his music, which is apparently what he likes, playing concerts, well, not now, but like he was doing it before this quarantine, and, you know, start a project at 70 or however old he is now that, you know, might not get a good return like his last six, seven movies, you know? I don't, I don't know if... Do you think... I, I was going to say, do you think that if Blumhouse said to him, all right, well, we'll give you $100 million to do one film. You have complete creative control. And we're going we're gonna to do this as like John Carpenter's last hurrah. John Carpenter's blank. Whatever you want to do. You don't think that that would make its money back? You don't think that that would be a success? But I, I don't know if uh, money is the thing that drove his career, though, because... How many of his movies were big? Oh, I, I I think I think in the last third it was entirely money that okay. drove his career. Well, that, I don't I don't think he directs the majority of the films that follow. They live uh, if it isn't for a paycheck. And I think he said that before. Yeah, maybe. Well, I, I guess I guess you can see that from the distributing companies who they are. It's kind of kind of feel like a you know we're hiring this guy because of his legacy or his name, but. Right. I, I don't. I just don't right. think he's going to bring a certain amount of clout. I just don't think there's anything else for him to say to do that. And also, I don't know what a director like him, who's, I'm assuming, I don't know what the budget for any of his movies were, but even something as Escape from New York, the budget could have not been that big. I'm sure that if they ever put out the remake, the budget is going to be 20 times as to what the budget for that movie was, and it won't be as good. I don't know if enticing him with mm. a huge budget would be something that would get him back just because, you know, he's never really worked with that. And also because I, I don't know if he has anything left to say. Uh, he used to write his movies, but, you know, he didn't do that for the 90s one. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think, yeah. I think he's comfortable with his legacy of 80s movies because he's still, you know, move, the movies that came out of the 90s that we just talked about, no one really remembers Everyone thinks of the thing, Halloween, uh, and Big Big Trouble Little China, and they live. I think would be the big four. So his legacy is there, and is going to stay there just because of those four big movies. So I don't know if there's anything in the process of making a movie that would entice a seventy-year-old man to come back from or come out of retirement ten years after his last last bomb. You know. No, I think you're you're spot on with that. I think in order for him to actually have the vigor to produce a movie that's worthwhile and going to be coherent and successful, I think there has to be some kind of like ember in him to make some kind of statement. And I think that's always been his specialty, with, especially with his 80s films, um, <clears throat> even though that never got in the way of the entertainment factor or uh, the open interpretation a, a theatergoer could have of his films. I think it would take that to have him make a movie that's worth everybody's time and also probably be relatively decent. I don't know if if a 70-something-year-old man is with it enough to be able to deliver something like that, but uh, it would. I, I think at the very least it would be interesting to see what he's got left in him to do a film of, of, of that sort. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's of interest to him, as, as we've kind of already established. 
And I think the odds of it are extremely low, uh, especially as more time goes on and we're, we're seeing what has happened uh, as a result of, uh, you know, coronavirus yeah. with theater going and, and, and whatnot and films being kind of marginalized as a result. Uh, very, very little chance. But, but, and, uh, you know, th- this is where, uh, you know, maybe we can explore some idea of this. If you had to remake one of these properties, which one do you think? And let, let, let's specifically focus on the lesser properties. Because Escape from New York, The Thing, whatever, you know, this has already been talked about. People have, you know, lobbed these ideas around for a while. Obviously, in the case of The Thing, they've executed that. The Fog, same case. What is one of the lesser properties you think could be done correctly if in the right hand? I think something like the fog would be interesting to give to someone that can. But the fog's been done. the The fog has been, and that's not a lesser property. I'm talking about like '90s Carpenter, and maybe I I, I don't know, uh, Prince of Darkness, something something like Dark Star, something that's considered not good in his filmography. Um, what what could actually have a real opportunity to it based off of premise or, or whatever element you see that could be done correctly on a second time around? Maybe something like in the mouth of uh, mouth of madness in the hands of someone like David Lynch <laughs> or a, a Jodorowsky. You know, someone that's just going to grab that concept of a guy that gets an older man. A guy. Well, I'm I'm just thinking of their their career, not not giving it to them right now, uh, because the story of this guy that goes crazy trying to find an author could be done in an interesting, very stylistic way. But I don't know if any of the stories from his '90s movies or even something like. Yeah, Prince of Darkness are interesting interesting enough for you to explore them further other than in the mouth of man, it was just a, an interesting concept that you can expand on and, and do more visually interesting things. Everything else is very straightforward. I think where creatively you couldn't really, you don't much. think you don't think that somebody like a, a Ridley Scott could put together ghosts of Mars in a coherent fashion. Not after in 2021 or after, Prometheus and Alien Revenant, no. I don't believe in him doing any alien shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, maybe what about Alex Garland? Maybe if you grab a nineties Ridley Scott, maybe. Um I would I would like uh um what's his name? Fuck. The guy that did seven. David David Fincher. Yes. Yeah, something like someone David Fincher. Someone yeah, yeah someone like that with, with uh vampires. Something like that, where it's like a weird connection of styles where he's slick enough and his camera movements are slick enough where something like that, if he gives it a a more interesting uh, style or a visual style to vampires, I think that could work. Um, But yeah, I don't... Well, I I, I don't... Yeah, I I don't think the problem with vampires is really the script or anything like that. I think you could do that movie a hundred different ways with a different cast and different director and it can work 
fine, you know. Um, let's say tomorrow you're given the task of remaking Ghosts of Mars. Okay. Where do you take that? Who do you who do you hire as the director? Who do you hire as the two leads? Who was the other lead in that? It was Ice Cube and it was a, a woman like Charlize Theron or somebody like that, uh, right? Yeah. A blonde from the a blonde from, a the, blonde. from the early 2000s. Uh, Natasha Hanstrich, yeah. A blonde from the early 2000s. Um, uh, that's nothing like Charlize Theron. Jason Statham, Pam Greer, Clee Duvall. Okay. Yeah. Jason Statham with hair. Okay, so Blumhouse Blumhouse has tasked you with assembling a force to create Ghosts of Mars 2021 for the 20th anniversary of this film. There's going to be a new Ghosts of Mars. What do you do? How do you handle this? Mm. Who, who is the director for this job? Okay, so I, the story has to be the same, right? It's still like a... You're going to use the same exact script. Oh shit! Okay, same script. Oof. Uh, it's it's let, let's let's put it in these terms. You're gonna do you're gonna do essentially what Gus Van Sant did with Psycho, right? Oh, all uh, right. You're gonna use the same script, shot by shot. But everything everything else can change. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not shot by shot. But you're gonna have the same material to work with. Everything else gets swapped out. All right. So since the story's kind of shit and. Everything that happens is really bad. You need to find someone that's going to at least make it visually interesting or at least make some time, uh, shoot some type of action that would be interesting to sit through. Uh, it's, so the tone's still going to be the same. It's still going to supposed to be a horror movie in space. <sighs> maybe, maybe. I mean, look, the, the written material can be interpreted many different ways depending on the individual that is that is helming it, right? So, uh, you know, if you were to hire if you were to hire James Gunn for that, right. that might be a certain way to do it. I was thinking... Ed- but if you were to hire... I was thinking Edgar Wright, <laughs> just to give it a completely different okay. tone and look to it and just have his usual, you know... Uh, I don't know. I don't, I, it, fuck. It's just, it, it's such a pile of shit that it's difficult to come up with someone that would, could do anything decent out of it just because there's not really much that you can work with. I'll, I'll give it to Spike Lee <laughs> and have him do the sa- same thing he did with uh, with uh, Old Boy. Just whatever. Just make a whatever. I don't think you can, yeah, I don't think you can salvage that. What are you, what are you thinking of? I, I I don't have anything uh, you don't have on my mind as far as that goes. You don't have an example. No, of no, that was that was a task for you, not for me. Yeah, no, I no, I think this film's uh, fucked. No matter what, it deserves to be in a in a shallow grave. Uh, maybe you could hire Ice Cube again <laughs> and get the guy who did uh, Ride Along, who did Ride Along in Barbershop, Tim Story. There you go, Ghosts of Mar. And you'll yeah, I mean, we have Jason Statham. Yeah, just put Kevin Hart in that role. And then you have a hundred million dollars guaranteed at the box office. But then every Martian has to be the little Indian man that played the Willy Wonka Oompa Loompas, just with different costumes. <laughs> so every Martian is tiny, but they're scary still. I would actually watch that. <laughs> if they're just thinking of just fucking a B movie like that, I would fucking watch the hell out of that. 
We just save Ghost of the Forest. I, okay, so we're changing the designs. <laughs> yeah. Changing the design. We have Ice Cube as the lead still. We're, we're using John Carpenter's template. Uh, and it, it does have some black celebrities in it. What if we alter the appearances so that they have uh, big noses, okay, they're hunched over a little bit, and they have, like, little caps on their head. Okay. And uh, Ice Cube has to defeat these these little Martians, and they're like this. And wh- you know, they're in this pose throughout the film. Whenever they walk, you hear, like, metal clanking with each other, just, like, very thin metal. <laughs> Something, like, coming out of a pocket. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I- yeah. And and we give, uh, I was going to say we give Rowdy Roddy Piper a camp, but he's been dead for, like, 10 years now you give keith david a cameo so there's some like so you're building a shared universe a little bit like and maybe it's maybe it's like the the thing remake where it's not entirely it's a sequel like it's a continuation things are repeating itself kind of like escape from la you just want to uh and la uh, uh ice cubes character is the same from the original you're just doing john carpenter's dr sleep is that what you want <laughs> just uh you know, well, they didn't. They, they didn't have. I mean, no, that would that would be like if we cast, um, I don't know, like a an Ice Cube impersonator to play his character in the film for the sequel. You know, they didn't. They didn't have any trace of the original left in there. Um, so not not quite, but maybe <laughs> maybe a similar vibe. Right. I think there's something that could be done done with that. You want to start working on a treatment for Ghost of Mark remake? No, <laughs> I, I think we can. Uh, why don't we give that to? J- we'll, we'll let Jake and Jerry handle that one. Yeah. Um. So that 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 spells the end of John Carpenter's career, and I think we did a relatively good job with his filmography. I think we got more coverage with him than we probably have with Romero yeah. or Brian De Palma. I think we're going on three hours now. This might be in all time. Yeah long podcast this might be three episodes which is going to be nice three weeks coverage oh boy uh is there anything else you want to add about john carpenter as a director or any of his films uh not really um check out his music because he's still putting music out and it's really good it's it's what you would expect the type of music you would expect in a john carpenter's movie from the 80s but now he just makes music i guess he used to do the music for his old movies too right yeah. yeah. So yeah, so he was more hands on. Support support yeah. his music career because it's still going, and don't watch anything he did from eighty eight forward. He did do the music for Ghosts of Mars. Oh, so all that industrial track, uh, it's all his all his work. Well, I guess that's what you get when you get a fifty year old trying to make industrial music sure. set in Mars. All right. Um, <laughs> Uh, what director should we cover next? Uh, didn't you have a list? I wanted to do. I wanted to do. A, I, I would. I would like to. No, I wanted to do like a, just a personally, just because I want to finish off the Cronenberg uh, movies, which is kind of Cronenberg is hand in hand. Somebody that would be good to jump to from from Carpenter. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, um, his career, I think. Right. And he's he's got a more limited filmography, and I think it's very easy to pinpoint um, like the different phases of his career. I don't think he really fell off until 
until after uh, doing those those few films with Viggo Mortensen. Once he does uh, that Robert Pattinson, uh, what, what is it? Cosmopolis. Uh, Cosmopolis. Yeah, yeah because because um, I think that, that that's really where he. Because that Viggo movie is really good. Uh, Eastern Promises. Yeah. Oh, uh, he did a history of violence in Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen. Both of them are really good, and both both are very solid films. And it seems like with every decade, he changes his style up, right? And um, you know, there are hints of like similar themes in his '90s work, like with like uh, his adaptation of J.G. Ballard's uh, Crash, right? Uh, that could be linked to, say, The Fly or Videodrome or any of his body horror stuff. But then he goes in a completely separate direction as far as the aesthetics of that. And then when you get to his aughts work, it's it's something brand new and unlike anything he had done before, really. And then the, the, the work in the tens, like Robert Pattinson film and Maps to the Stars, you know, that's very take it or leave it. I don't think they're particularly bad, but for Cronenberg, not my cup of tea. Maybe I would have a different opinion rewatching them. Yeah. But he would definitely be a good filmmaker to cover. Um, and again, like somebody who's easier to get through. Like you can you can bang out all of his movies within a couple of couple of days. Yeah. Uh, Michael Mann is somebody that I'd like to cover, specifically Michael Mann's earlier career, like his '80s work. Before we get to Last of the Mohegans, where he decides to take on other subject matters other than crime, I think his best period is from Thief, his initial film, up until uh, probably Manhunter. And between that time, he does Miami Vice and he does The Keep, and The Keep is The Keep is such a weird movie. Yeah, that that's a very interesting film, and uh, the visuals of that like it that that's a piece of rare media that uh, is definitely worth checking out if you're just engaged in horror visuals and science fiction that that kind of thing. Um, so he he would be somebody I w- I would like to cover on the show, and also Abel Ferreira. But Abel Ferrer's got a lot of films under his belt, so that would have to be broken up into periods as well. Kind of similar to Michael Mann. I thought you wanted. Have you seen any of Abel Ferrer's films? Oof. Name a couple. <laughs> uh, the Driller Killer, Miss Forty Five, King in New York, Bad Lieutenant, Bad Lieutenant, not the Warner Herzog one. Uh, King of the the one with Harvey Keitel, yeah, not yeah, Nicolas yeah. Cage. Oh, I've seen Body Snatchers. I've seen King of New York. That's it. Oh, Snake Eyes. I haven't seen his uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake. No, he didn't do Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes was... Ferrar? Snake Eyes, I think, was Brian De Palma. No, it's... Oh. No, it's Ferrara, but it's a Harvey Keitel movie. With Cage. No, the... Har- Snake Eyes? Yeah, the Harvey Keitel one. Snake Eyes. From 93? <laughs> yeah, it's called Snake Eyes. You've never seen it? What are you, what are you talking about? It's, it's called Madonna? No, and... Snake Eyes is... Is Nicolas Cage? Wait a minute. Oh, oh, yeah. It's oh, it's a two-hour movie with Madonna. Madonna's Vanity Project. Okay, yeah. No, I. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have heard about this. I have not watched this. Madonna hired Abel Ferreira and Harvey Keitel because she wanted to do a movie, right? And this movie, I think, was like a giant bomb. It was kind of like, uh, what did she do with? I think it was Guy Pierce, not Guy Pierce. Um. Guy Ritchie. The one in the island? Whatever whatever film she did with she him. She was, yeah, yeah, Yes. Yeah. That was also a tremendous yep. flop. 
terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, so yeah, Abel Ferrer would be a fun one to get into, but you were about to say something before I continued on with Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, didn't you? Oh, I, I saw uh, Tommaso. Have you seen that? I have seen that. I yeah. enjoyed it. Pretty good. Uh, oh, he has a short called Hans. I might have to check this out. <laughs> oh. Best office full trailer. Never mind. Okay. Uh, I thought you said you wanted to do a Friedkin episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that that was actually a mistake because I was watching the Friedkin documentary and I met Michael oh, Mann. Right, right. They have kind of similar similar films. Like To Live and Die in L.A. feels a lot like a Michael Mann film. You could very easily make a trilogy out of, say, Thief and uh, To Live and Die in L.A. and then Manhunter. They all have like a similar vibe. They all have William Peterson in them. Um, and also, I, I, I mean, there's there's a cool... 80s crime police aesthetic that uh, was built between Friedkin and Michael Mann and also Abel Ferreira. Abel Ferreira and Michael Mann worked on Miami Vice and Crime Story with one another and kind of borrowed from each other's aesthetics. Especially with um, uh, what, what, what's geez, Fear City. Fear City was the, the, the movie I was thinking of. That has a similar vibe to it with Tom Berenger and Billy D. Williams. Obscure movie. It's on, I think, Tubi and Amazon Prime right now. Fun watch, good movie. That also has like a, a a weird killer who's obsessed with karate. He murders women and he performs karate on them. Wow! And it takes uh, Tom Berenger, who's a boxer who killed someone in the ring, so kind of like Bruce Willis's backstory in Pulp Fiction. It takes him to take down this karate man who's killing prostitutes in Times Square with great karate. Film, great film. He kills him with karate. Karate. <laughs> It's like the the least lethal type of martial arts. (laughs) The thing that five-year-olds learn to do before they learn real martial arts. That's pretty great. I actually kind of want to watch that now. He's a a white guy who knows karate. And they have these like cool, except not cool, dojo sequences where he's just looking intense, staring into the void, and his body's all posed. And they have music. And it's it's really, it's something. It's it's a great time at the at the cinema.